I thought I was going public as a trafficking survivor. But that's not what the world saw. The world saw a whore. <laughs> oh, I was oblivious. Like oblivious to the stigma that existed in the world. Because don't we all just kind of live in our own head, our own story, our own journey? Like we think that everybody and no one at the same time is somehow like us. Oh, humanity is funny. When I first started sharing my story, I did so in typical Jess fashion. I did it big with a big, big splash and absolutely no planning. My mom used to tell me, she's like, Jess, you're the only person I know that can jump in a bucket of shit and come out smelling like roses. <laughs> and jump in, I did. Because I was so active in the community, I actually shared an office within an insurance agency. And the main agent had connections to the local media. So when I started sharing my story, I did so in an exclusive interview on the evening news that you can actually still find on YouTube. And they came to the office with all of the cameras and a whole crew. Like there were like three people who came out. This was before they started doing journalism with one person. And this whole crew came up and set up this huge camera. And mom was sitting next to me in the office and she leaned over right before they turned on the cameras. And she goes, Jess, Jess, hey Jess. Remember, you don't want them to slit their wrists when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and all I could do was just laugh. I was like, mom, that is the craziest, craziest thing I've ever heard. And really what she was telling me is that, wow, your story's intense. Like, um, lighten it up, have fun with it. Her playfulness, her ability to have fun and make light of some of the most horrendous situations is her legacy that has will and has and forever live on in me. And I hope to pass that obnoxious joy onto my children. Right now they're all teens and they're not especially appreciative of my abundance of joy early in the morning, but that is for another story. <laughs> so I shared my story for the first time on this exclusive and it was media for one, which means you have zero control over how they present it and what they do. But it, the impact because of the stigma was so immediately intense because we were already shunned by the church and were like going through the beginning of what was to be a deconversion. But we... We were just learning and growing and rolling fast, like jumping quick into that bucket of shit. And immediately people came out of the woodwork to share their stories with me and to ask me to come and talk or come to a board meeting and just answer questions, be present. Like most of the people who were involved in the anti-trafficking movement, many of them had never even met a trafficking survivor yet. It was so early in the movement that there were just very few of us talking. And I, I know it wasn't that we weren't actually talking, it's that we weren't applying the label 
to our stories because there's so many misconceptions in the media and defining what trafficking is. It was this really odd time of just asking questions and like, what's going on? What does this look like? What are you seeing? What's going on on the streets? And because I had squared up so hard, like I was out of touch with what was going on on the streets. And like I was a mom with three little kids and four young ones, but like I had three in diapers for a time. And I wasn't connected with any of the community that I had been in prior. It was super hysterical because as I would share my story, people would look at me and give me this odd head tilt and kind of furrow their brow, you know, push their eyebrows together and they'd go, but you look so normal. And I was like, what? I didn't say it out loud. I probably should have. I would now. But I was thinking, like, what on earth am I supposed to look like? Like, what, what do you think I look like? Like, I was just a product. I was selling myself. I was being sold. Like, what, what is a trafficking survivor supposed to look like? That really became my question over the next couple years, is what does a trafficking survivor look like? Because really, we look like everyone else because we are everyone else. Hi, and welcome to Whores Do It Best, a business podcast. My name is Jess Richardson, and I am having the time of my life sharing my journey throughout the first 12 episodes of this awesome podcast, if I may say so myself. <laughs> I'm sharing my story of how I went from a judgmental Christian to really believing in fighting for the rights of sex workers and truly believing that sex work is work. And when I removed the stigma and shame from my own story, it unleashed a set of powerful gifts that I didn't know skills. I had some badass skills that were locked inside of that stigma and shame. And when I undid that within myself, I was able to own, own the label whore because I was proud of where I've been, not because I want to always be a whore, but because as long as that stigma exists, people will continue dying. People will continue being beat and hurt and sold when they don't want to be. And that's not saying that there aren't people who want to sell themselves. That's totally okay. Don't we all sell, sell ourselves? That's what I'm doing right here. I'm selling my time for your time. It's an exchange of value. That is the nature of humanity that exists for all of us. I believe we need to get honest that we all sell ourselves. No matter what you're doing, you are selling yourself. And when we get honest about that, the world of entrepreneurship gets a whole lot more fun. And quite frankly, I learned my skills in business from whores, pimps, and hustlers. And I'm not ashamed of that a bit. So join me on this journey as we demystify the stigma surrounding the sex industry. And I just tell you how I went from being a judgmental Christian to um, whatever the hell I am today. I am a person without labels who finds love in logic and believes that the power of story can change the world. 
because each one of us have a story. And as a collective, as we continue to share our stories, what happens is we gain a bigger perspective of what it means to be human and what it means to exist in the crazy world that we live in today. So if this appeals to you, please um, give me a review, um, follow, do all the things that you're supposed to do on whatever platform this is on because, you know, press the buttons, give me a bell, say a like, <laughs> say a comment, do a comment, whatever you do, do that, please. And share it with your friends because quite frankly, I keep saying quite frankly, hmm, I'm just excited to be here and I... Uh, am excited to share. As I mentioned in the first episode, two months after I went public with my story, my mom became severely, severely ill and she passed away. She had a very specific, unique type of leukemia. And really, she was only not feeling well for about three weeks 17 days before she died, I took her to the hospital and it was one of the scariest, most difficult times of my life because her and I had journeyed through our healing process together. And when we went deep into our stories together, we healed generational wounds and we broke cycles that have existed for as far back as we could trace. And it was incredibly powerful but the thought of losing her was terrifying. And before I had a chance to catch my breath, she was gone. And the church had pushed us away and all we had was the community of entrepreneurs, the chamber of commerce that was around us. All the individuals in the community stepped in and contributed something to make the celebration of her life so incredibly powerful. And she had been saying to me as she was helping me be comfortable on video and present on stage, she had been saying to me, Jess, I'm passing the baton to you. You are my legacy. And I'm passing that baton. And we didn't realize how quickly she would be gone. At the same time, as I hear myself share my story, and I think about it from a mother's perspective, it was probably her greatest mercy to not have to hear me share time after time because she beat herself up so bad over her silence. Simply not opening her eyes and opening her mouth at the things that were happening in my life. There was a moment when we were healing together that changed everything. I was so angry at her, so angry and so bitter. I blamed her for so many things. And she looked at me and she said, Jess, I never did anything. I never made a decision trying to fuck up your life. I did the best that I could. At the time, I was the mother to a two-year-old and I looked at my daughter and I realized that I was just doing the best that I could. And then the biggest gift that we can give our children is the ability to have an open conversation, to be honest, to be real about those experiences. 
and to know that we are simply on a journey to doing better. We can't break every cycle, but we can break a whole lot of them if we show up every day and do our best. And that, mixed with her crazy joy and her not give a fuck attitude, will be the legacy that I pass on to my children. I am certain that when you're listening to this, some of that gets passed on to you as well. It took me a few weeks after mom passed away to be able to go back to that little office. And when I went back that first day, I sat at her chair and I couldn't make myself do it. I couldn't make myself open the emails or focus on my business. I simply got up and left. And I did what mom, <laughs> what mom would have done. I went to Dairy Queen and I got a Buster Bar and I sat in the parking lot and I just asked myself, what would mom do right now? How would she handle this? After a few minutes, I realized that I needed to go buy a smartphone. It was early, early 2010, and I went to my local store and bought an iPhone 3G. Because throughout her being ill and passing away, we kept repeating to ourselves that we still choose joy. I still choose joy. Regardless of what happens, I still choose joy. That mantra has served me greatly. And the next day, when I took my iPhone back to the office, I decided it was time to rearrange. And I decluttered my office and I made it new. I made it my own space by myself. And when I answered those emails, I realized I had dozens and dozens of requests to come and speak at schools, to go talk to a board, to help this person, talk to that person. And I launched into this manic phase where I did and did and did. In the first 18 months of being public with my story, I shared over 900 times. I often joked that slavery will give you one hell of a work ethic, and I'm telling you, it does. I got more shit done more fast. It was one thing after another. And there was a time where I had a sense of bitterness, where I was mad because I was like, I was re-exploiting myself. They weren't paying me my worth. And really, as I corrected that mindset, I realized that I was doing it for research. I was doing it because what I realized was as I shared, I was instantly earning trust. This philosophy of I'll go first and be vulnerable meant that after I shared, people would line up to hug me. And as they hugged me, they would whisper in my ear the worst things that they had had, that they had experienced. And they would share with me their stories and we would just hug and cry one person after another in 20 second intervals. And I had another one of the biggest epiphanies of my life. And it was that survivors of all types are everywhere. There are so many of us. My story, it's kind of unique, but that's only because it's my story. The diversity of trauma and how many people it has touched was so much bigger than I could ever imagine. And the power of being real, the power of being vulnerable, it was not a weakness. It was a strength. It gave other people the courage to share. And when I saw other people begin to open up and share their stories, I thought this is the way that the world will change. 
It is through our stories, through the diversity of our experiences that all have the same feelings. Because there's only so many feelings that a person can have. And while our stories are different, the experiences are different. The, the pain is really very similar. I didn't realize until just a few years ago that I am also on the autism spectrum, that I'm an Aspie. I can see in hindsight that that quality is part of what gave me the tools to survive. I've often joked that my love language is spreadsheets, but I really don't enjoy spreadsheets. It's the concept of them and how my brain organizes data and that I see patterns and that my love is humanity and culture. And as I would stack all of those things up together, my brain worked like some kind of big set of tinker toys. Like it didn't make sense, but I can see now how it served me so amazingly well. That's the humor of it, is sometimes I don't necessarily have the words because my language, my communication, the way I speak is something that has been hard earned. It did not come at naturally to me. It has not been an easy skill for me to develop. I just learned how to laugh when I make, make mistakes. I have fumbled through so many presentations. I have put my foot in my mouth so many times. I hear the impact of how my stories help other people and give them the courage to share, to go deeper into their own story. And so I've continued. Stigma is something that you can't see, but you feel. It's a judgment that is accepted by the collective whole of people. Stigma around the sex industry, it just exists for everyone who is in it, regardless of why they're there, regardless of why they stay. And it doesn't matter whether you chose it and you love it or you were born into it and you were forced as a young child. The stigma doesn't care how you entered or how you exit. It doesn't care what you look like. It doesn't care how articulate you are. It doesn't care how much money you have. Stigma exists for every single person who has experienced the industry. I could chameleon into a different world, into a different lifestyle, into a different me and hide. Not everyone has that privilege. I, I understood the way I looked would allow me to speak in a way that people would hear it and that I somehow in my Captain Save-A-Hoe and donning a cape decided that I would leverage that privilege and use my voice thus fulfilling my wet dream of going deep into understanding the nuances of the sex industry and fulfilling my love of research and studying humanity. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for joining me on this crazy ass episode and we're going to do it again next Tuesday. I am delighted and honored that you have spent this time with me. I hope you have a magnificent badass day. Give yourself a big old hug from me to you because well, technology hugs are what we have right now. So I love you lots. Hope to see you soon. Have a great day.